Clay, a podcast for ceramic teachers looking to share ideas and to connect. My name is Julie Newman, and I am your host. Welcome back. Have your students ever shown you social media videos of the magical trees that are created by this mocha diffusion process? If so, the video was most likely created by my next guest, Kevin Kowalski. Kevin is a high school teacher in Orange County, California. In this episode, we talk about creating positive connections with students. He explains how excited he is by the interactions he's getting from students using social media and the chat function in Zoom. We discuss the challenge of being in two places at the same time in the ceramics room when teaching both hand building and wheel throwing. He tells us how this online learning has given him the opportunity to create reusable content that he plans to use after we return to in-person teaching. We dive deeper into what's working during virtual learning, and he details a new procedure he uses for monitoring student progress and final projects. Lastly, he tells us about several workshops he's developing for all of us to learn about mocha diffusion and soda firing. So let's jump into our interview with Kevin Kowalski. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm here with Kevin Kowalski. Welcome to We Teach Clay. Thanks for having me, Julie. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, meet with you today. Uh, you, you might not remember, but I did attend one of your workshops a while back. Um, I, I wrote that in our Instagram, and it was one of your Mocha Diffusion workshops at Aardvark Clay. And I'm kind of one of those junkies. I go to as many workshops I want to learn, I want to do, and I really, really enjoy the time that I spent with you. Um, so thank you for always being a good sharer. Very cool. Yeah, I'm glad you took something away from that uh, workshop and hopefully you were able to teach your students that. I do. I, I actually take the Milk Diffusion into my advanced class because it is, it's really cool. And almost every advanced kid has encountered one of your Instagram videos or something or one of the, uh, what are those, the most satisfying ceramic videos those trees that you make are always in those videos. So um, I have students that say, hey, have you seen this? I'm like, not only have I seen this, but I've met him. I went to a workshop, so it's really cool. That's great. Um, yeah, so you're in Southern California. I'm in Southern California. Why don't you, uh, although we wouldn't know it, right, because we're virtual, um, why don't you give us uh, the skinny on where you're at, where you teach, what you teach, how many students you have, so that we get a basis of, of where you are. Yeah, I work at Esperanza High School and I'm a full-time ceramics teacher. I'm the only ceramics teacher at my high school, although the district does have a really robust art program. Um, other schools in the, the district, other high schools have maybe two full-time ceramics or one full-time ceramics position. So uh, we have a lot of uh, connections and a lot of um, uh, like professional development opportunities in our district. And we all kind of share ideas, which has been amazing. Um, so I'm not alone in the district, but I'm alone at the school as far as the only ceramics teacher. Uh, there's another art, uh, visual arts teacher that I work with right next door, actually. And she's great uh, to have as, uh, as a colleague. And 
I, I'm not sure how many years. I, I, it all runs together. I think maybe 12, <laughs> 13 years of teaching um, in the district, and it's it's been incredible. And I teach five periods of ceramics, and then weaved in there are my advanced uh, students. It's a it's a pretty popular class, so I typically get mostly seniors and just beginners and um, trying to attract more juniors. I know they want to take the class. Um, so attracting more juniors so that they can take the class as an advanced student has been kind of one of my priorities the last few years. And it, it's it's developing slowly, but it, it's getting there. Yeah, I find that because so many seniors want to take it, there's no room for the juniors at my school. That's what happens. So as much as I try and recruit, they're like, I'm trying, but they say I can't get programmed. <laughs> Do you have that issue too? Yes, exactly. That's That's been the problem the whole time. And then I spoke to the counselors and I said, can you at least give me, uh, let's say, 30 juniors this year uh, so that I can build the program and see if they're interested in taking it a second year? Um, and it's, it's been working and I got a lot more juniors. I think this is the third year I've been wanting the counselors to add more. Um, but I also don't want to take away from the seniors who, you know, have been waiting for a while. So yeah. there's a balance and I, I guess they would just take it as a junior if they're, you know, wanting, really wanting the ceramics class. And then um, I, I guess it all evens out and, and I get the students that really want to be there. So it's right. Right. Nice. How many students are at your school total? I think we're floating around 15 to 1600 students maybe lower. Um, I, I know obviously with this pandemic, things have dropped drastically. Um, I still have a full caseload. So I think 33 is my max um, that I have in each class. And I'm pretty much there every class for five periods. Yeah, that's nice. That's a great size school. The, not too big, not too small. Um, and, and one full-time teacher, of course your classes are full. <laughs> no doubt with that. that amount of students my goal for the class is that i give my students uh like a ton of information a lot of opportunity uh, a lot of different glazing techniques a lot of different uh, firing and i, I just kind of overload them with a lot of possibilities and and information and i hopefully some of that stuff sticks because i you know i only get them for a year and so i don't want to like you know, if they're really into this, the potter's wheel, I say, all right, you're going to use that potter's wheel the whole year um, and you're going to get good at it. And I wow. also, if you don't like the potter's wheel and you tried it, then let's stick with hand building or sculpting and you'll have similar projects. So we'll say, you know, let's, let's make a mug. Obviously the people on the wheel are making a, a wheel thrown mug and then the hand builders are making a hand built mug. And so I, I I'm really flexible with the students' um, you know, uh, progress or, or um, projection because I remember taking a ceramics class and that's exactly what my, my teachers did. I walked into that room my junior year and I, I looked at the wheel and I said, I wanna do, I wanna do that. I wanna work on that potter's wheel. That looks so interesting to me. And Mr. Boucher was his name. And he said, all right, you do a tile project and the texture texture tile project that everyone does and then you can get on that wheel and and for a year and a half i was on that wheel and, and i just fell in love with it and so i'm i'm really grateful that he gave me that opportunity and i want to give my students the same 
That's awesome. It's actually making me feel a little like guilty because I have those students. I was that student too. And I think I, I saw the wheel and was like, I want to do that. But I ended up hand building for, you know, a while before I got on the wheel and my, my class for the longest time, I only had five pottery wheels and I have about 38 students in class. So the prospects of getting almost 40 kids on five pottery wheels rotating, it just was too big of a project that I left it just for my advanced students. So how, how many wheels do you have and how do you support your students all getting on the wheel or having that chance? Yeah, I don't, I don't say that this is for everyone in every classroom. Uh, I know that there's, there's a, I guess, equity issue of how many actual wheels you have in the classroom and how much uh, access students actually have to these things because I do actually have 18, 19 wheels in my classroom, which I was lucky enough to kind of build up over the years. And so I can, I can teach a lesson half on the wheel and half hand building. It's definitely a logistical uh, challenge. I have to be in two places at once. And you know what this pandemic has done has really opened my eyes to the possibilities um, of just using virtual learning and virtual teaching to kind of front load students and give them um, instructional videos that they can watch at home or that they can even watch during the class. So I'm not, you know, directly teaching um, both hand building and the wheel throwing um, in the same class. And, th and that's actually been something that I've I think I'm going to get burnt out on and I need to change. So this has been a really great um, shift for me to think about that. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like how many times I've said to students, I can't be in two places at what time we have to be patient. And this is actually showing us that kind of we can. <laughs> we can physically be where we need to be at the hotspot in the classroom. And like you said, maybe that hand building project is, you know, a playlist of YouTube videos. It's like step one, step two, and they can get themselves through that hand building while you're over working with the wheel students or vice versa. Yeah. And with the wheel, like anything, the wheel is a tool. You have to learn how to use that tool and you're really not going to make anything um, substantial for the first couple weeks. Um, if you're on it every day for, you know, about 40 minutes. So I, I try and explain to them that they have to learn the tool. They have to learn the process. And so during that time, I'm not really, I'm giving a, like maybe a 10 minute demo and I say, go work on centering, go work on pulling, go work on trimming, those kinds of little demos. Um, and, and so th those things can be shown on YouTube videos and those things can be readdressed and I don't have to sit there for 10 or 20 minutes every period. They can watch a video of me doing it at home and then come into class and, and just try and practice. So really, the time in class is the practice time that they they need right. as much as possible. And then also, you know, so many times I've assigned videos for at home watch and then the kids come in and, and they haven't watched it. And maybe that's a way to filter out the students that really want to be on the wheel and the ones that don't. And the kids that haven't really put in the work and the time, then they can't, they if they can't advance because they haven't taught or watch the video to attempt to learn and observe that instruction on their own, um, they can't maybe move to that next step. It's a dance we have in a ceramics room because there's just so many different things going on. <laughs> it's a challenge. Yeah, it is a challenge. 
So this year has been probably the biggest challenge of our career so far, uh, logistically. And um, I know that we're a virtual, 100%. My school is in uh, in the San Fernando Valley. What is your setup with uh, COVID-19 situation at your school? We started the year uh, 100% online virtual learning, and we're still in that phase right now. Uh, we're transitioning soon to a, a hybrid model. So the students will be half here and half online. Um, well, no, actually not half. It, it, it's changing. <laughs> the model hasn't been set yet, but what I want to address and talk about is at the very beginning, I was very sad. I walked into my classroom and almost the first day I was in tears because it, it was just really sad to not see my students physically there not feel their presence, not like interact with them. Um, as we started doing Zoom and more distance learning, um, I did some projects where I got to know them. They showed me pictures of their family and their hobbies and interests, um, more interaction on Zoom with them. Uh, really kind of brought, brought a new light to the whole situation. And now I really actually enjoy the rhythm that we have. Um, I, I've been making connections just having them show their their videos or show the, turn their cameras on so that I can see them working um, has been a, a huge help. Um, I know that uh, like uh, the participation is the challenge, right? In, in any class, you you want someone to to talk up in class. You ask a question, everyone's quiet. So really, the chat option on Zoom, which we use as our platform has really transformed the way that I teach because they all love like quickly texting and, and chatting their answer and they all wanna be heard or seen. And uh, I think that's one thing that's really kind of given me a lot more um, excitement about technology because I would ask questions in class and there's, there's no response. But now that there's kind of this way to respond uh, and have everyone heard, um, that that's really kind of something I'm going to take with me. Um, what kind of questions are you asking in the chat? Because I also ask questions and I get the, you know, the crickets. I'm like, does anybody want to unmute? Raise your hand. And I'm like, or I'll call on you. I've tried all these different strategies. Some work better than others. But I have had chat, but I haven't found that the majority of the students participate. It's just been kind of like a sprinkle. What are you doing? What magic do you have in the chat? What magic? <laughs> <laughs> it has to be your questions or your finesse or you've got a magic finger and you hit that button and they all want to respond. I don't know. I, I, so every time someone writes a chat or writes a response, I'll, I'll say their name and read it out loud um, and then give them some kind of positive feedback and say thank you for your response, that kind of stuff. And I don't know if that's actually encouraging them to post more. Um, maybe the questions I'm asking are very simple and, and uh, obviously I'll, I'll ask a very simple, everyone knows the answer to it, but they respond and I say, keep responding. Tell me, you know, tell me what you think. And uh, uh, I guess that's the, the magic is maybe just addressing them um, and giving them positive feedback. I, I do the same thing when I'm doing live broadcasting for my, uh, my own personal um, Kowalski pottery business. I'll, I'll do an Instagram live and when people are showing up or when they're writing a response, I'll, I'll try and address, address them individually and call out their name 
or their username, whatever is showing up. But I, I think that's a really powerful tool to be acknowledged and, and, and seen and heard. So maybe that is a little bit of a... Yeah. I think so. I think calling on the students and letting them know that you actually see them. I find that for me, um, as I was trying to make relationships with the students at the beginning, um, I had, I knew things were working, right? Like I knew I was moving from my one camera to my document camera, but I would call on a student and I would say, hey, Jill, um, can you unmute and tell me if this is working? And then she would say, yeah, say, hey, Jill, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. So I was really trying to call on students so that they realized that I could see them and that I appreciated them um, acknowledging that things were working. Um, I'm still trying to get the chat, but um, I, and I do call on the students and, and I am very appreciative. I don't know, maybe I just need to try and be consistent. Oh, one thing I was thinking of is that uncomfortable silence. Maybe you're good at uncomfortable silence. I am not. Like you, you mean that you need to fill the silence so you keep talking or say something? It's like the wait time. Like I'll ask a question and then I'm ready for a response. And when I don't get anything, I get a little nervous. So maybe it's just to ask a question and be like, okay, who's going to answer? I definitely, that that's very true. Cause there's a lot of times where I'm playing in my head, like, wow, it's really quiet right now. And I'm just I'm taking role and I'm looking at the computer and they're all just staring at me. Like I, I'm thinking in my head, maybe I should do something, but I can't, I, I have to take role and I can't entertain them. So then part of it is I'm, I'll say, Hey, throw in the chat. What, what did you do over the weekend? Or what are your plans for the weekend? Or what is something you learned in class? And so while I'm taking role or, or attendance, I'm, I'm reading the chat and, doing attendance, trying to at least. And at least. <laughs> right. That's a great idea. That is not just specifically related to ceramic. I like how you're, how you're pulling in the weekend because the kids are missing the social aspect of school. Like that's the part that they are agonizing over. And just being able to chit chat about the weekend or their favorite new song, maybe that's the, um, the ticket into enticing them. Yeah. I, I, just any kind of engagement that you can trick your student into <laughs> is yeah. so getting them used to it, like just chat. I, I think they're used to it. I, they're, they're on their, their phones all day texting or um, interacting on social media all the time through the chat. I think maybe the hardest thing was like, don't use slang and don't um, don't abbreviate things. That, that That's really annoying when I'm like, I don't know what these things mean. Like I understand LOL and, and certain, you know, normally used ones, but I have to like ask my students, what does that even mean? It's like BRB. It's like, Oh yeah. Be, be right back. Okay. But don't say that. Just type it out and, and be normal. I know. I, I, I asked the same one. I was like, what is BRB? <laughs> They, and I think what's really fun is like, I think we are of similar age. We're like, we're not an old teacher, but I'm not like an early teacher. And so I can kind of poke fun at myself and say, this old lady, even though I'm not that old, I'm like, this old lady doesn't know what you're talking about. And it really kind of brings that approachable level to the students and they, they get a kick out of it. Right now, the T, right? The T, have you heard that expression? Give me the T or yeah, talk yeah. some T. And so I, I always joke around, but I say it so wrong 
so that they just crack up. Like I don't say it correct. I say it horribly uh, so that it just makes more fun for them. And then they start to loosen and lighten up. And, and I, I can see their, their bodies changing in the class, even through the screen. So one of one of the ways that I'm trying to connect uh, with students and also kind of develop a, a larger social media platform is um, I'm now on TikTok, which is kind of silly and annoying and hilarious all in the same breath. But um, I'm I'm trying to be entertaining on TikTok and and show off the process a little bit more and and really just bring some like better quality content. I, there is a ton out there. Um, you know, but it doesn't always show up on the for you page. Um, but I, it's it's fun to like say, oh yeah, I'm on TikTok, and they all respond like, what? Oh, and I, it's just another way, you know, another social media platform for me, but also for them to connect with me. And um, you know, in two or three years, I'm sure it's going to be another platform that I'll have to learn and and uh, connect with students. But it really does make me like understand their their sense of humor and their their culture i guess and and even though it changes every day really there's some new meme or some new saying that's happening uh i i get a sense of of where they're coming from and i think maybe it makes it makes you more approachable to them uh, you know, I, like I was saying before, how my students would say, have you seen this mocha diffusion stuff? Well, that was an in Instagram. Now right. I'm so happy that you're moving to TikTok because that means students will still be bringing me their phones saying, have you seen this? But it'll be in TikTok now. <laughs> yep. So uh, what was your approach to, to this year? We're, we're several weeks into the year. Um, we're, I, I get the feeling that you're working with Clay. You've made projects with your students. So how did you approach this year um, and how did you get clay into your kids' hands? I've really approached it the same way I would in a normal classroom setting. Uh, the first two weeks were uh, introductions, um, getting to know you, and uh, some vocabulary, the elements of art, um, and then really just kind of getting used to the whole platform um, in, in a normal classroom, it'd be getting used to the, the classroom setting, like sitting in stools instead of a desk. But in this, it's like, okay, well, we got to learn how to use the chat. We got to use different camera angles. So I, I was using those first, actually three weeks we did that. And I knew all along that I wanted to get clay in their hands because they, they signed up for a ceramics class. They didn't sign up for a, you know, a virtual learning uh, history class or whatever, you know, I could have turned it into. So I wanted to get clay into their hands. I was lucky enough for my district to get some um, some funding and I ordered a bunch of uh, plastic bins from, uh, I think it was Home Depot. They're like shoebox bins. Right. And then I filled them with clay and tools. And then I just did a, a big handout at my school. And I, I think just today someone was like, I still haven't gotten my clay. And I think that's the only one out of like 160, 70 students. Um, wow. And once they got clay and we started working in clay, I like my anxiety level dropped because I'm like, okay, good. Like, I'm comfortable here. This is my rhythm. This is my, this is what I'm used to, but I'm also teaching 
way differently because I have to slow down. I, it's taking so long and we're on block schedule as well. So that I only see them two times for a full period and then one time for kind of a, uh, like a 30 minute preview and review of the week. But it's just every, every step is taking so long and I'm having to slow down. So I'll give them the instruction the first day. They'll, they'll have time to work on it. Um, I'm giving them Google Classroom slides or Google slides to fill out with reference images. And then I'm also having them um, take progress images of their work and then eventually final images of their work. And so it's all kind of being documented on that Google slide. Um, I'm encouraging them to show me their, their workspace as they're working live so I can see them working and having them ask questions in the chat or you know unmute. So once we got clay in their hands, I'm feeling a lot more confident about being a teacher because at first, I was like, wow, how am I going to do this? I have to reinvent ceramics for virtual learning. But lucky enough, we, we got clay out and, and it's working. Yeah, it, we don't have to reinvent, which is awesome. It, it's just the reinvent the way we do it, but not what we do. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it feels strangely the same, but weird. You know, like I also have that anxiety level that went down. It like everything felt like it just clicked in um, once the kids got clay. I felt better about everything too. How long are your uh, block schedules? How long are you actually with the students when you're looking at their workspace, when you're having them show you their art or you're demoing? What does that time frame look like? So we have two periods or sorry, two days a week for 75 minutes. And then on Fridays, we have like a 30 minute per um, 30 minutes per class, kind of a, it's a, it's called a review and a preview, which I, I like a lot. Um, it's going to change for the, um, the hybrid model. Um, but I think that's going to switch to the midweek, which is a Wednesday. So gotcha. there's going to be a, you know, Monday, Tuesday group, or sorry, a, a Monday, Wednesday group, and then a Tuesday, Thursday, or I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. I, I don't, I really don't know the schedule. <laughs> well, there, I think there's so many different options because people are saying, well, do we have group A come yeah. on Monday and Tuesday and then we have group B come on Thursday, Friday, and then we clean the school in the middle or that uh, is that too weird to have instructions separated. So we have Monday and Thursday and Tuesday and Friday. Like there's so many models. Yes. Yeah, so that's the model that we are going with and uh, for the hybrid and, and things could potentially change again. Um, but you know what? I always think we teach creativity and as teachers, any, any type of teacher, we have to be creative uh, for every type of learner, every type of student, every year, there's something new and different. So really that's like, that, that's exciting about our job that we get to rethink some ways and approaches to teaching information and, and connecting. And, and I, I think when you're, when you're not willing to do that, I think it's time to retire. And, and you see a lot of teachers like that when they're kind of at the end of their, their career and, and they're like, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to rethink the way that I'm teaching. Um, so I don't know. Well, talk to me in 15 years when I'm about to retire and see how I feel. <laughs> right, right, right. The scary thing, though, is when you, you encounter teachers like that that are in their early career, mid-career, and they don't want to reinvent and they're just in their 40s and like, 
holy moly, you've got like, we've got to reinvent the kids you started teaching 20 years ago and the teach the kids are teaching now and the kids in another 10 years, like they change every two to three years. (laughs) So it's hard. All right. So what, from what, uh, what kind of projects have you already done and what's working? What are you finding in this virtual environment? What has worked really well for you as a teacher or even just like the product that the student is making? What has knocked your socks off? Well, honestly, we've only done one clay project. It's, it's taken us two weeks to introduce the assignment, actually just introduce clay because they just touched clay. And so I walked them through um, a little sculptural, um, like a mini sculptural ceramic project. So they made a bird in cl- or at their house. And then I, I, w- I wanted them to make their own uh, sculptural animal. Uh, and so I had them research an image using Pinterest or, or Google image search and then they put it into a slide and then now they're showing their progress. So today was kind of the end of that um, assignment and I got to see their progress and I got to see their finished piece. And so I've only done one like actual project. The next one's gonna be pinching um, two pinch pots together and and making um, a form, probably a lidded jar, like more like a pumpkin or a jack-o'-lantern type thing for fall. Yeah, definitely. But the thing that is working with that is that they're they're being exposed or they're looking at reference images, um, and they are using that as a guide to to create something uh, with their hands. So they're like taking this like idea and trying to translate it into a physical object, and and that's really difficult for a lot of people. And and so this is just kind of it's starting that, that development and that process. So I don't know if it's 100% working, um, until I've kind of got to the end, but, uh, it, it's getting them motivated or keeping them motivated. And I see the the results and, and they're doing great. One of the things you're talking about is this Google slide that they're assembling all these pieces on. And it's really striking a note with me because grades for my, my progress grades are due today. And I've just been scrambling up late last night. You know those grading days, right? Where you're just like, ah. Um, and one thing that I'm finding is I, I want to check in with my students more frequently with pictures, like progress work pictures. But I don't want to grade all that work over, you know, like with separate assignments. So what you're saying with this Google slide is you have them create a slide where it has source image. And then in the same slide, are they inserting their progress images? And then will they submit their final picture in the same slide? Exactly. So I, I wanted to make a digital sketchbook or um, uh, a digital, what's the word, um, portfolio for them. And I wanted them all to be working on just one long, continuous working document. But then I realized, uh, how am I going to grade just one document? And w- the way that Google Classroom and, and what we use works is they have to be kind of separate assignments. So then I realized, okay, just make different slides for each project. So that slide, that slide show or whatever you want to call it, the document um, has, yeah, multiple slides within it. So different, um, I don't know, are they called slides? Yeah. There's slides. Yeah. Google slides. (laughs) So confusing. I know. Right. And then I honestly, the next question is about burnout. So I get it. (laughs) 
So it's hard to explain without showing because I'm so used to now just showing it through sharing my screen. But yes, so each slide presentation has multiple slides in it. The first slide is a uh, reference image. So uh, they could even sketch on a piece of paper and, and then put it onto that um, slide. And then the second one is the progress images. And then the third slide is the final images. And the great thing about Google Classroom is I can actually edit their, their slide presentation. I can watch them working on their slide presentation. And I use that as a tool to, to kind of see where they're at in the process. And so if a student hasn't even put in reference images and we're, we're at the end of the project, I call them out, you know, in class. Hey, uh, Johnny, where's your, where are your reference images? Are you having trouble finding images or how can I help you? And then, I, and then they say, oh yeah, I'm having trouble. And then I can readdress and help reteach there. I can drag things around and kind of reposition their slides so it looks better. So yeah. that's really working because I, it's like that in classroom, um, like um, just not formal assessment, um, the, um, what's the other one? Formative. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, I'm walking around the classroom initially, or, or exactly. yeah, so I'm walking around the classroom virtually and I'm taking a look at where you at in your assignment. Even if your camera's off and I'm not watching you work, I, I can still see virtually what, um, what you're working on. Right, and that's what we're missing. We're missing those visual check-ins as we walk through the room and say, hey, you're a little off point or hey, you're doing great, you're way ahead. We can't see that unless we have a way to monitor that. So logistically, because I like I'm a Google nerd, I, I like love the way that Google works and how we can see what the students are doing. So just logistically, are you assigning um, are you giving them the Google slide format and then it's attached to an assignment and then they're just updating it and you're watching it go and then at the end they turn it in? Is that how it works? How you're able to monitor it along the way? I just realized why are we not using the share screen option because I can share <laughs> exactly what I'm doing with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can edit this part out while I like. Right, find. right, right. <laughs> but maybe, maybe the maybe I'll be able to explain it if I just see it. Um, let me see. Sorry, it's a little slow now. No, no problem. Because like sometimes I'll be grading and a student will not have turned in something and I'll click on it and I'll see they've actually done half of the work and I want to give them progress points for like at least doing something, but yet they still haven't formally turned it in. So that to me is saying, hey, maybe that if we have that slideshow up there and they're editing it, I'm doing a checkpoint like, hey, you should be done with slide two. You should be done with slide three by day three. Yeah, I mean, if, if you want to be that meticulous about your due dates, I'm pretty flexible and and I say, okay, here's your assignment. You get it done when you get it done. But then I'm also pressing them like, hey, wh right. where's your slide? Are you having problems? So. so in this next part of our interview, Kevin shared his screen with me. We talked through how he uses Google Classroom and Google Slides to monitor student progress. Originally, we talked about editing this part out, but he has a lot of really great suggestions. Although you cannot see what he's showing me, he is very descriptive, and I think you can still get some great ideas from this part of our conversation.
All right, so I have uh, first period, and then I break out, I break down the Google Classroom into, um, in the classwork, we, sorry, in the classwork, I break it into weeks. So we're on week five. Mm -hmm. We have clay animal sculpture. And then within this, I have the Google Slides. And I made this template for them. And it has the three slides on it and the instructions. And so when every student opens up this slide presentation, they, it makes their own version of it. So now that- Right, you did make a copy for each student. Exactly, it makes yeah. a copy. And then uh, on the first slide, you're including five images uh, as a reference image. And then the second slide, once it loads here, it's gonna say include three progress images. And then the third slide is final project images, two to three slides. And this is something that I just developed this week because I was like, oh, I need to see your progress. So I need to make a slide for that. And then I, I wanna see your final project. So I need to make a slide for that. And I don't wanna have three separate documents and three different assignments um, that I'm grading. And I can see in real time, the students working on this. Right, so if they're, if, if you, I said to my students today, you should not be starting clay unless you have done your sketch plan. And then they had to upload, or they actually had to physically show me their sketch plan. And I had like three students that hadn't completed that. So that's the checkpoint. Like you shouldn't be done with your project without having slide one done, without your reference images. Yeah, and some students were having internet issues and, and they're like, I can't upload images and they were working in clay. So I'm like, okay, well, don't waste the time just trying to upload images, work on clay, that's fine. But just make sure when you get a good connection, um, you can, that, that you're uploading these images. And that's kind of the flexibility that I show or give my students because I just want them to be efficient in the, in the process. So I'm showing you a student's um, work and some examples. So here's their reference images. And I can like go in and, and adjust um, the image and move it around. And then here's their progress. I said, take pictures along the way, get a good clean background. And then they haven't put in their final images yet. So, so I that's great even like what, how you're instructing them to, when they're taking their own picture, get a good clean background. And I can see how that students work, those, those reference images actually changed as they were learning. You probably said, no, get a piece of white paper. And I could see the change from that one uh, image to the second image. Yeah, I did actually teach a whole photography um, lesson too, where they had to take a bad picture of an object and a good picture. And then they, um, they had to justify or explain how they, they took that bad image and made it a good image. And I walked them through a whole slide presentation on taking good photos. And so I, I think that's one thing that I'm, I have to readdress and go back to because I don't know if they actually got that idea or that concept from the lesson. Um, so I'll probably have to reteach, like how do I really want them to photograph their work and how close do they need to get? What's the, what's the correct angle? Right. And also equity. Not every kid has a really great iPhone or a really great Android phone. Most of the kids, not most, but some of the kids are really trying to use in my school, their Chromebooks that have like a terrible webcam. So 
the quality of the picture is never going to be good but if we're trying to create a good environment for the 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 work then that at least is a step up yes so yeah you asked the question what's working in my class um, what i've tried so far is kind of working now and i'm adjusting along the way and there's definitely a lot of grace and um, freedom to move back and forth and my students get that you know the first time I shared that slide I didn't have this the second two slides and once it makes their own document um, those two slides don't you know populate into their slideshow so I had to like say all right we have to reteach and show them how to add two slides and um, so there's a lot of just kind of grace and understanding for for this whole thing whole process and i like that you're you before when i was i i've i find that i've been trying to come in maybe a little hotter than i should um because of this virtual environment i i don't want to say i don't want them to get away with stuff but i do there's the fine line there are kids that are struggling because of technology or because of this learning environment and then there are kids that are trying to take advantage of it and i'm trying to let those students know that they're not going to just get away right with manipulating this environment to um, to get away with things but yet i'm being very sensitive to the technology problems um, maybe i need to blanket my grace a little bit more to everyone because in these kind of situations like right where i get an epiphany or i want to add a slide i'm expecting the students to give me that grace yeah. and so i appreciate that point maybe i needed a maybe i need to bring myself down a notch and 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 that's not a unusual request from my heart to my head <laughs> yeah i i don't know i don't know if i have any great advice with all of that in this scenario i i just allow for a lot of freedom for students to make mistakes a lot of freedom for me to make mistakes and learn along the way and i i'm i'm not here to play you know goalie or 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 like even cop of of my students really i i'm here to teach them a, a an idea a concept art and a process and those students that are going to take advantage of the system i i always say like i i'm going to reach them by just showing them really exciting and fun and engaging projects and if they get it, they get it. If they don't, you know, they're going to take advantage of the system, whether it's it's an amazing class or if it's a really bad class. So, I, I don't. I, I try not to. Um, I try not to police too much of that uh, in my classroom. Yeah, that's great. I I think I subscribe to that as well when we're in person, yeah. and I have a really good rapport with all students even yeah. the ones that are really trying to get away with it those are the ones that are like my project kids those are the ones that when i hook them and i get them into clay i those are my biggest successes and this uh this virtual learning makes that really difficult so i'm gonna give myself a little grace <laughs> well we can't see them either and so you don't you don't know what they're doing they could just be laying on their bed playing video games just doing the project when they can or when they want to I, I don't it's really difficult but yeah we we just have to like just take a deep breath and step back and say all right we're all learning in this situation it's brand new um and i i think you're going to lead into the next thing which is burnout
Uh, yep. <laughs> That's exactly the perfect segue is just talking about the students' mental health. Like I have kids that are laying down and I explicitly say, please don't lay down during class. You shouldn't be in your bed. But there are, I feel like some of my students are struggling, like struggling. And then that also leads to teachers. Like we are at an all time high as far as burnout and stress and rigor and responsibilities. How are you managing this burnout or this, this stress level that we're all under right now? How am I managing? Um, the first three weeks, I probably was not managing well. Um, I, was, I was just trying to make things work. Um, and I, I definitely had to create some new you know, projects and new ideas and new um, online um, documents and stuff but and that was really helpful I, and I managed just by like taking one step at a time the now what I'm doing to manage is just in enjoying the students progress and enjoying um, their their uh, like introduction to clay and their um, their journey so how am I managing stress and all that? I, you know, I, I'm a pretty laid back, relaxed guy. So I think the stress management um, comes just by having uh, a wonderful wife and a wonderful family to come home to and, you know, enjoying their presence. My, my two daughters are three and five and I come home and my wife is homeschooling them all day and uh, I get to take you know, take over as much as I can and we'll go jump on the trampoline or jump in our little blow up pool in the backyard and, and really just try and uh, de-stress from all just the, the screen time that we've, that I've had. Um, I also um, manage my own pottery business. So I, I do a pottery business called Kowalski Pottery and I've been making and selling pottery for the last four or five years now. Um, through my website kowalskipottery.com and uh, through that through that whole time I've been teaching workshops like you took Julie and mm -hmm. that's that's been a really great um, uh, you know outlet for it, it, it allowed me to be a teacher but also be creative um, in, in a different sense um, so teaching workshops has been a really fun uh, avenue that I've that I've explored. But now with this whole pandemic, workshops have gone online, and and I've been developing uh, online workshops for the Mocha Diffusion and also for soda firing. I, I I don't know if you know this, but I built a kiln at my house, a soda kiln at my house, and I've had um, successful two workshops um, and already selling out of the next one. So. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So you, you actually built a kiln at your home? I did. That was a project of mine. I, I built a kiln similar to the one I did uh, like four or five years ago um, in my classroom. And I built this one at home using a, an electric kiln and converted it. Um, and so now I'm, I'm having people or students come uh, from the community and, and take classes at my house and and fire the fire the kiln and kind of learn the soda firing and and kiln conversion workshop that's cool so you have a you have a soda firing workshop coming up at your home yeah so i my goal is to do that every month in um, southern or southern california uh so if you guys are if you're local and you're interested in something like that uh you know definitely join that but then my other goal is to do a virtual 
soda firing workshop where I, I walk you through all the steps of how to convert a kiln and how to load it, how to fire it, and then how to clean up uh, the pieces when they come out. Because I think that there's a there's a big community of people that are interested in this process, but they just they don't even know where to start. So I think showing off that process, the soda firing would would be really interesting for a lot of people. Well, and it's interesting because we're talking about burnout, right? But you're talking about more work, but yeah. this is the kind of work, right? That fills your soul. And I find that a lot of ceramic teachers are makers. They, they have businesses, they, uh, or they just keep teaching. And I think you're doing both, which is cool. Mm -hmm. um, and with COVID, uh, I, was, I was telling you earlier, like I've done several uh, workshops online this summer and I have been in workshops with teachers that I would have never been able to experience because I wouldn't have traveled. And so many teachers, we, do, we just don't have the money to travel to Canada or travel to um, New York or, or up to Oregon. And so with COVID, it's almost opened everybody's eyes to, hey, we can do this virtually. We can bring these artists into people's living rooms. They can learn, they can grow, they can create. So that's what you're doing. You've got the Sotafire workshop and, and tell me more about the Mocha Diffusion workshop that you're gonna do. Yeah, so Mocha Diffusion has always uh, been kind of my bread and butter for my own personal work and then also the teaching of the workshops. And I've hesitated this whole time about um, like putting it into a kind of an online downloadable classroom or a type thing or, or a video workshop. And I, I was like, oh, why don't I just do an online live workshop and see kind of what interest is there. And then that'll maybe motivate me to do a actual like video series uh, workshop. So you can like just download or watch those uh, that aren't live. So this is kind of the precursor to, to multiple, um, uh, multiple workshops and multiple videos that I want to create that will be more educational um, for people to download and, and use. But the Mocha Diffusion workshop, I'm uh, going to be doing one uh, actually in October, October 17th and 18th, two different workshops for two hours. And I'm going to be teaching start to finish, like how do you um, mix up the slip, how do you develop um, the mocha tea, and then how do you apply it, how do you fire it, and then just some t decorating tips that I've learned along the way. And I think with the mocha diffusion, people ask me all the time, like, it didn't work, or uh, like, what's the trick? You know, how thick is the slip supposed to be? And uh, what's the recipe? So, so there's a lot of like technical stuff that you have to kind of understand to make it work. And so this workshop um, is, is challenging me to like put it all into one package and uh, write it all down and, and take like really good notes and then be able to present it within two hours so that people can be successful. I want everyone to be 100% successful after taking this uh, uh, workshop that they can, they can achieve their goals at home uh, through the workshop. So um, my website, kowalskipottery.com under workshops. Uh, you can check that out. And then I eventually will have uh, more uh, opportunities and workshops uh, posted there too. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's where I found you was through the Mocha Diffusion. That's what brought me to you. And um, taking the workshop, I think that was early on in kind of your timeline of like selling work and, and um, 
with this process. But the one thing that you impressed in me is, hey, if it doesn't work, you keep trying. It makes your slip a little thicker. Make, you know, you have to, you developed this over years and it's some, not typically something that works. And we as ceramic artists are very adaptable, right? We have to change and ebb and flow with successes and failures. Um, and you are the Mocha Diffusion guy. So if anybody has even been thinking, wow, that's really, really cool. I want to learn how to do it you're the one you're the mocha diffusion guy so they got to sign up for that workshop thank you so much for letting me plug that julie <laughs> yeah it's no problem no problem because it is true i actually i brought this because i wanted you to get a good giggle this is what i bought from you on that day oh this my is goodness. my piece one of your early ones i think i yeah, love it that's a soda fired piece mm -hmm. nope and that's yeah that, that's early that's um i think it's bmix slip Yes, it was. And I remember you also threw in that workshop, you threw some cups and you were showing us how you get that the mountain range using yeah. the tool as you threw. So that was not just a mocha diffusion that I got from that workshop, but also uh, that technique, which I play around with. And it's really fun. Yeah. Well, this has been really great. I know you're a great teacher, right? And I, I, I've heard of you in several different places. I've seen your work. Um, I, I follow you on all your social media things and you're always popping up in my feed. And so I know that you're actively working, selling, teaching, all of the, all of the above. So if anything, you're motivating me to continue to reach, right? And continue to, to do the things that make me happy and maybe give me more grace and more balance and lessen my burnout. So I appreciate um, all of the things that you gave us today. Um, so thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you, Julie. Kevin is such a cool cat. He is a laid-back guy who puts his students' needs first. I love the story of his beginning on the pottery wheel. It really made me think about the times that I said no to students, thinking it was just too soon. Once we work through this virtual learning and return to the classroom, I'm going to rethink how I work the wheel into my introduction classes. I can't say enough about how great Kevin's workshop was. He does a great job making what seems to be a complex technique seem attainable and something fun to bring to your classroom. Check out Kevin's website and sign up to make a great connection to a teacher and artist in our community. And with that, I bid you farewell. Stay healthy, friends, and keep connecting. <laughs>